0: as the number one audio company iheartmedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iheartmedia is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more
1: hey it's zuko and kayla from the wake up call enjoy your podcast and when you're done don't forget about us we have a radio show we try to bring a smile to your face every morning We also talked to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. From The Recount, I'm Rena Ninen, and you're listening to The Recount Daily Pod, Today's Tuesday, July 20th, coming up later in the show.
0: As a society, we have done nothing to make it illegal for someone to pay me to come to you and con you out of information that could be then used against you.
1: That was Barry Meyer, author and former New York Times journalist. I spoke with him earlier about his new book on the spying business, Spoot, Secret Rise of Private Spies. We'll dig into the juicy details of that a little bit later, but first, your morning headlines. Stocks took the biggest hit of the year on Monday as the Dow Industrial Average fell over 700 points. The S&P 500 and Nasdaq experienced similar drops. Fears about the spread of the Delta variant and how it might affect global markets are being blamed. Investors sold shares in companies impacted negatively by the virus. Airlines, cruise operators, and oil among them, while taking refuge in government bonds. Similar moves made in the early days of the pandemic. European and Asian markets also fell. After a weekend of pushback against social media for not taking down vaccine misinformation, President Joe Biden is clarifying his comments about Facebook.
0: Facebook isn't killing people. These 12 people are out there giving misinformation. Anyone listening to it is getting hurt by it. Is killing people.
1: The 12 people he's referring to are from a recent report from the Center for Countering Digital Hate. It says that 65% of all vaccine misinformation spreading online leads back to just 12 individuals. Facebook maintains it's not the reason for vaccine hesitancy. The first felony sentence of a defendant in the January 6th insurrection was issued on Monday. Capitol rioter Paul Hodgkins was sentenced to eight months in prison. That's less than half the Justice Department's 18-month sentence recommendation. Hodgkins pleaded guilty last month to obstructing congressional proceedings after he stormed the Senate chamber, carrying a Trump flag and donning a Trump T-shirt. The case could set a precedent for how hundreds of other rioters charged with the same felony are punished. Abdul Latif Nasser is home. After almost 20 years, Guantanamo Bay's forever prisoner returned to Morocco yesterday, marking President Biden's first release of a detainee since taking office. The 56-year-old was never charged with the crime or put on trial. His transfer was cleared back in 2016, but stalled during the Trump years. The State Department said Mr. Biden will continue a deliberate and thorough process to reduce the population at Guantanamo. And now to our Daily Deep Dive. The business of spying has become a booming industry. The Steele dossier on former President Trump, investigations into Elizabeth Holmes' claims at Theranos, and Harvey Weinstein's attempt to discredit his accusers are just three of the bigger examples of how incriminating information is upending politics, business, and personal lives. Who are these private investigators? How do they work? And why are they having such an oversized impact? Here to help me dig into this is journalist and author Barry Meyer. Barry, welcome. Thank you, Rena. So Barry, what do you think it is that most people don't know about this underworld of spying and private investigators?
0: There are two things that I found fascinating as I started digging into it. One was the enormous size of this industry. We usually think of spies as the CIA, MI6, the Mossad, but there's this huge private industry. These folks make like billions of dollars a year and the other thing is the extraordinary and hidden impact they are having on our lives on the media and on business and our personal lives as well
1: when did you see this resurgence of these private investigators getting involved
0: i got very interested in the topic in in late 2017 there were a number of big stories that were happening there was the steel dossier the Harvey Weinstein case, the Theranos episode had just unfolded. And when I looked at these three disparate situations, there was a hidden thread that connected them all. And that was the involvement of corporate investigators or private spies in all of them. And they had all been hired by various parties to these disputes, either to uh, dig up information Uh, on their adversaries or on unwitting targets like the women in the Harvey Weinstein case.
1: A lot of these influential investigators now are actually former journalists. You mentioned the Steele dossier. Walk us through that a little bit.
0: Well, the Steele dossier was basically a piece of opposition research that was commissioned by lawyers working for Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016. They initially hired an investigative firm called Fusion GPS, which was run by two former Wall Street Journal reporters, and they in turn hired Christopher Steele, an ex-MI6 agent who sent an operative to Russia to gather dirt or supposed dirt, on Donald Trump there. And that series of reports that was generated by uh, Christopher Steele's informant became known as the Steele or Trump dossier. And in the aftermath of the 2016 campaign, after these memos were posted by BuzzFeed, they basically became an integral part of our cultural and political conversation for three years.
1: I mean, it's not uncommon for former spies in any country to go into the private sector, whether Israel or the U.S. or England, to profit off of their abilities to gather and the network of contacts they have.
0: It's, in fact, very commonplace. What is less well understood is that their contacts were not their contacts when they were working for MI6 or the CIA, they're not their deeply embedded sources that government agencies develop in the course of doing their business. They tend to be freelancers, kind of schnooks, also rands, uh, folks that are eager to make a dime by trading in unverified information.
1: So Fusion GPS was commissioned to dig up what we call Compromat, sort of files on President Trump. What happened in the process? Uh,
0: well, first, when the steel dossier was released, uh, it was embraced because there were a lot of people, and I don't, that thought, oh my God, uh, Donald Trump is compromised. Donald Trump is in bed with the Russians. Here's an opportunity to get rid of Donald Trump. And so this document was embraced without verifying its accuracy, its credibility, knowing much about Christopher Steele or the sources uh, that he was relying upon. And unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever the case may be, it all began to fall apart as the question then became, what the hell is this thing? How accurate is it? And, And why has the media chosen to believe it?
1: So the hindsight of of having some time passing since this dossier came out, what the hell was the Steele dossier?
0: It was a collection of rumors, uh, bad information, false claims. I mean, people fell in love with Christopher Steele. He's got nicely coiffed hair. He wears beautiful suits. He talks the talk and walks the walk of a former spy. And they had no idea who Christopher Steele's clients were and whether his bona fides were in fact accurate. So I think journalists tended to get caught in like an echo chamber.
1: You know, Barry, I spent some time covering the Obama administration. And I think when you are cultivating sources and particularly you're focused on one area like the White House, it's so easy to fall into that echo chamber and have your sources validate the same piece of information. How do journalists prevent that from happening?
0: It's hard, and and what you're saying is absolutely correct. I've been living in the country on and off in the last few months and weaned myself off cable news during that time, but every time I turn it on, it's not unusual to hear a commentator, and it doesn't make a difference what channel they're on. They could be on MSNBC, CNN, Fox, saying my source in the Obama administration, or my administration source, or I have sources in the administration who are telling me that, and you know, I'm listening to that. And I'm thinking to myself, exactly what you said. This is echo chamber reporting. This is compromised reporting. This is this journalist is trying to up their game with their listener by implying that they know something that the listener or the viewer doesn't. That's fine. But at a certain point, we have to be transparent with the public. For decades and decades, there has been this shadow game that's going on where reporters and their sources, be they political people or corporate investigators, do their dance behind the curtain and the public doesn't know anything about it. And I do think that if the Steele dossier has taught us one thing, it's that we need to pull that curtain away to some degree. We need to make the public aware of where this information is going from, particularly if people are being paid to plant it. And why aren't we doing that? Are we so afraid that we're gonna get beat on a story that we're refusing to do that? Or are we so afraid that we're gonna be shunned by some political party or corporate investigative firm if we insist on making greater disclosures about where this information is coming from, my feeling is so be it, that's fine. That's a price we should be willing to pay. I have spent my entire career as a journalist. I feel journalists can do great work. I like to think that I did important work as a journalist that was of public benefit. We don't need these characters And if we do use them, we need to let our audience know about it.
1: Well, we have to take a quick break. We'll be back with Barry Meyer on the Recount Daily Pod. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat
0: Angela E. is kind of like the big sister that always pokes <laughs> in the forehead. <laughs> that's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen
1: to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Welcome back to the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. We're here with Barry Meyer, author and former New York Times journalist. So, Barry, going back to Fusion GPS, is the company still up and running?
0: You know, it's very curious because I was told by another journalist that they're apparently trying to, quote, rebrand the firm and put the dossier behind them. They're trying to get away from political oppo. They're trying to do less corporate stuff. And and God knows, I guess there was so much controversy generated, blowback about the dossier. If I was them, I might rebrand myself as well.
1: It's hard to imagine an industry, whether it's politics, Hollywood, business, where compromising information wouldn't be such a giant factor, a big influence. How do you think the future of this industry looks going forward? I mean, is there more raw power for those people who hold the dirty details that can bring someone down, a person or a corporation?
0: I think it's very frightening. And I think the future is very frightening. Uh, I cite the example of Black Cube, which was this Israeli company, which I was hired to use all these dirty tricks to dig up dirt on Harvey Weinstein's accusers. They are making more money today than they did back then. Their services are in demand today, more so than back then. I have spoken to corporate intelligence executives who say to me, I try to be an honest investigator. But when I go to big law firms, and it's the big law firms who act as the intermediaries in hiring investigators for their clients, all of them say to me, can you do what Black Cube did? That's cool. That's what we want. That's how we want to win. And they shrug their shoulders and walk out the door. So we are developing and we are embracing a society where the type of behavior that these firms are involved in is not only acceptable, it's desired by clients.
1: You mentioned black Cube, the Israeli company. Spies for Black Cube, according to one report, were behind a dirty operation. It was a a campaign to collect dirt on former members of the Obama administration who had actually helped to negotiate the Iran nuclear arms deal. What was the takeaway from that fallout?
0: Basically, it runs a con game. It has its operatives, pretend to be people that they're not. It creates digital personas to help them further this con game and this masquerade. I guess one of the things that I'm most troubled by is that we as a society make it illegal for me to come to you and con you out of money. That's a crime. I could go to jail for that crime. But as a society, we have done nothing to make it illegal for someone to pay me to come to you and con you out of information that could be then used against you in a lawsuit or anything to smear your name publicly. And I think until politicians, and I don't know why politicians on both sides of the aisles haven't embraced this, make those types of activities illegal, we're all going to be targets for these people. We're all going to be victims of these people. And and they are going to continue to thrive to our detriment.
1: You write in the book, few professions are more deserving of a comeuppance than the smug and morally bankrupt men and women who work as spies for
0: hire. I'm waiting for that to happen, and I still believe that to be the case. Yes, Uh, they are mercenaries to a large degree. They profit from misinformation and deception. And as I mentioned before, they're legally protected. If I didn't have the sort of ethics and boundaries of journalism to act as guardrails, I could be doing all kinds of crazy stuff. These folks don't have those guardrails. And until those guardrails are imposed upon them by lawsuits, damage awards, regulations, or laws, they're gonna do what they do because they make so much money doing it and they have a lot of fun doing it.
1: You say in truth, Black Cube really wasn't doing anything that was new or unique. If anything, it specialized in running the oldest con in the book, sizing up a mark and playing them for a sucker.
0: Absolutely. They just attached digital bells and whistles to it. But their basic tactic was to try to find your weak spot, the thing that would be appealing to you, be it your desire for recognition, for appreciation, for money, for affection, what have you and use that as a way to gain your trust and then betray you because that's what they were being paid to do.
1: When you look at how this industry has changed over the past few years, you mentioned sort of how you became interested in this. How do you think this is changing the way we govern, the way businesses are run, the way people operate?
0: I think it's changing it to our detriment again. Being a former reporter, and I guess I still consider myself a journalist, uh, I was very concerned about the impact on the news media and how we as journalists work. And what I saw in a variety of cases was the use of private investigators, private spies, to develop information that is then planted in the media be it through the private spies or investigators themselves, or laundered through public relations firms that then approach reporters with information seeking to get it into print. During my tenure at the New York Times, there'd be these attributions like a source familiar with the issue said or a source familiar with the event said. And then there became an edict where the editors at the paper rightly determined, you know, we weren't telling our readers enough. You need to be more descriptive about why this person is seeking anonymity. Suddenly became this new formulation. And now you always read about a source who was not authorized to speak publicly said. So it was. it's basically dressing up the same thing in, in a new set of clothing. It is in no way revealing to the reader the motives or interest behind what that person is saying.
1: This underworld of private spies, are there any bright spots?
0: Yes, there absolutely are. There are people who are ethical, who are moral, who go out and uh, find missing people, find important information. You know, I talk about the this investigator that was working as a contractor for Black Cube, who was monitoring Ronan Farrow when he was reporting about Black Cube for the New Yorker, as well as uh, my former colleagues at the Times who were doing so. And when he realized why he'd been hired and what he'd been doing, this guy tipped off Ronan Farrow to let him know what was going on. So there are people that do have moral compasses. (laughs) It's not a condition that is uh, prerequisite for entering the industry, let's put it that way.
1: The book is called Spooked, The Trump Dossier, Black Cube and the Rise of Private Spies. Barry Meyer, thank you, Barry.
0: You're very, very welcome.
1: And now to The Look Ahead. Here's what else we're watching today. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is headed to space aboard the New Shepard. His space company, Blue Origin, will blast four people into the edge of space for a 10-minute journey. He's joined by his brother, as well as the oldest and youngest space crew, 82-year-old female trailblazer Wally Funk, and their first paying customer, 18-year-old Oliver Damon. The Washington Post is teaming up with Discovery to provide live coverage of the launch. The trip comes on the 52nd anniversary of Neil Armstrong's landing on the moon. Today, the Free Britney Act is set to be introduced in Congress by Representatives Nancy Mace and Charlie Crist. The act would protect a conservatee's right to choose an independent conservator and would also protect conservatees from their conservators looking to profit off of them. The act is inspired by pop icon Britney Spears, who's in the midst of a heated legal battle with her conservator father. Sports casting history will be made tonight when an all-female team will announce the Orioles and Tampa Bay Rays baseball game on YouTube. Melanie Newman, one of only 4 female play-by-play broadcasters, will call the game. She was also the driving force behind the idea. Moving forward, the league plans to have all-female sports casting teams as a more standard part of the season. The game will be available to watch on MLB Game of the Week live on YouTube at 7 p.m. Eastern. Be C-A-N-E-E-R-S Go Bucs! Ah, my beloved Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was your fight song from 1979. My home team will be in Washington today. President Biden is hosting the 2021 Super Bowl champions, marking the first time a championship team has visited the White House since 2017. You may remember back in 2018, President Trump uninvited the Philadelphia Eagles after calling the players disrespectful for protesting during the national anthem. After the Bucks visit the White House today, we might need to update that fight song. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you back tomorrow morning. Have a great day. This is the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from Recount and iHeartRadio. Our thanks to Barry Meyer for being on the show. If you like this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe to the Recount Daily Pod and leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Ninen.
0: Let's take a moment to breathe.